everyone. Hey, and welcome to We Know Nothing, a podcast where we dive deep into topics we know nothing about. Today's episode is about vaccines and disease. This is a topic that is very relevant to today, although we are not going to focus solely on COVID-19 vaccines because we want to understand the topic more broadly. These are just our initial thoughts on the topic and anything that we have heard and learned from personal experiences, classes, social media, and online. So first things first, why did we choose this topic? So obviously vaccines have been have become a hot topic right now because of COVID-19, but they've also been a huge part of modern medicine and history of medicine as they have protected us against diseases like MMR, polio, and HPV. Yeah, yet there are still so many people that are skeptical about their usage and like their creation, um, which is why it brings us back to this topic being important during COVID-19 because there are people that um, are possibly like going to refuse the vaccine and, you know, like what effects that could have on our, our society as a whole. Yeah, I definitely understand um, the fear, especially with COVID vaccine, just because it's very new for everyone. And if you're not like well-versed in vaccines, you're definitely going to be a little scared with everything that's surrounding it. Um, But there is a lot of research on it and a lot of things that have happened behind it. So personally, I think that it'll be safe and effective. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously a lot of really smart people that um, are working on on this vaccine. And, you know, there are multiple. But I think a big problem is that our education system doesn't really prepare us to like, really know about these types of things like we never learned like what really a vaccine even is and I think that you know that problem is only worse in school districts that may um, have less funding or or you know whatever it may be so I think that you know knowing so little about the vaccine definitely influences people to be more scared of it you know like from high school like the only thing I remember that we learned was that the vaccine was invented by, you know, that guy that um, realized that the maids, like the milkmaids that were like milking cows with cowpox didn't get smallpox because like somehow like those two diseases are really closely related. So then he started like injecting people with cowpox to prevent them from getting smallpox. And that's like literally all I remember learning about it. Yeah, I don't really even know if I remember a lot from high school. I don't even think I remember that um, from any of our classes. But even that is very, um, very vague knowledge on the topic. And each vaccine is going to be different. Like MMR is not going to be the same as like the HPV vaccine, you know. Yeah, and I think um, most of like our knowledge about modern vaccines honestly just comes from like us being a child getting the vaccine. Like, I remember getting MMR. Um, I remember HPV. I remember meningitis because we had to have it before we went to college. Um, I remember chicken pox vaccines. Like those are the vaccines. Like you see like posters for them, like in your doctor's office. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, like I, I really don't know that much about them. Yeah, exactly. Like when you go into the office, you're not like 
well-versed or researched most of the time. I feel like on a lot of the things you're just getting it because the doctor told you to get it or because like you have to for college. Um, but yeah, so we have MMR, polio, HPV, meningitis, the influenza vaccine and chicken pox um, so far on our list of what we know for vaccines that we have. Yeah, and we don't have one for like the common cold because it changes so fast and it's like the symptoms aren't even worth making a vaccine for most of the time. Um, but but like we said, we really don't know that much about vaccines, which is, you know, partially part of the problem for, you know, fear mongering and, you know, disinformation on, on the internet. Like um, you were telling me before that after you got your HPV vaccine, you went home and like looked up online um, because you were feeling like some mild symptoms. You looked up online and saw some horror stories. And I feel like that's exactly like what most people do. Like they get the mild symptoms that come with the vaccine and then they scare themselves into believing crazy things like Bill Gates is like going to put microchips in their body. Yeah, I'd I'd gotten the first shot. I didn't feel good. I don't know what it was. And then, of course, like as a 12 year old, I'm online. I don't know how old you are, actually. I might have been like 15. But and you, I like I saw a story of this girl and they're like, oh, she like is paralyzed now from getting what is it? the the HPV vaccine. So of course that's gonna scare me and not want me to get it. But like I said, I would like to go back and look at that and see if there's any like actual basis behind like behind that article and behind the fear of it all. But yeah, so obviously obviously there are some side effects to any medicine we take, but you know, I think that for the most part is probably worth it. Yeah, I would, I'm excited to do some more research and hopefully get a better grasp on it. But as of right now, what do you think your concluding thoughts are? Um, I would say my concluding thoughts are that I think vaccines are very important to um, our modern, our modern health. And, you know, because of the increased risk of transmission in like, you know, large cities and, um, bigger population densities that we have nowadays. And, you know, while there are like potentially some side effects like we talked about, I think it's like definitely worth it to prevent us from getting like, you know, um, potentially life-ending diseases. And what about you? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think that vaccines have proven to help in the past. Uh, They're widely backed by science and research. And there's evidence that they have helped individuals in the past as well as uh, humanity as a whole. So I definitely think that they are very beneficial and that there are probably going to be more positives than negatives to getting vaccinated. Yeah. So with that said, let's do some research. Cue the music. Okay, so we have both done some research and we're ready to see what we know. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about is the history of vaccines, which I kind of mentioned earlier. Um, after doing a little research, it looks like the man I was referring to, his name is Edward Jenner, and he is an English physician. So he was a person that invented um, like Western vaccines, like the I, the idea of vaccines we have now and he injected a 13 year old boy with cowpox I guess is kind of like the first um, rendition of a vaccine 
But um, from the research I was doing on this website from New Zealand, it actually says that in China, they were smearing um, cowpox on their skin to prevent from smallpox all the way back to the 17th century. How did they smear the like cowpox on their skin? I think they like, because <laughs> cowpox and smallpox, like they're like... Um, a pustule (laughs) like it's like a blister that like has pus so they were probably like smearing like the pus from the cowpox on their skin that makes that makes way more sense do you think that it also like led to a weakened response though because you know how some vaccines they give you like the weakened um disease or virus or bacteria like how do you think it worked with that or were they just trying to do like herd immunity well um cowpox and smallpox are like so similar that like the response the immune response to cowpox also works for smallpox and they were smearing like cowpox on their skin but humans can't get cowpox they can only get smallpox or like if they do get cowpox it's like really um mild or something so it's kind of like getting like a mild form of the of the disease like in a vaccine it's basically like the same thing oh okay that makes way more sense yeah, um, so that's kind of what I, history, but we also were curious, like, what is actually in a vaccine? Um, according to the CDC and the FDA, um, there are a couple types of ingredients. One type of ingredient is called a preservative, and an example is the Marisol, um, which is, like, it contains a mercury, but it says, like, only, like, a really small amount, and, like, that's kind of, like, one of, like, the the um, hot like debate contentious ingredients but um, it's now only used in very few vaccines because it only has to be used in multi-dose vials so those are like if you have one vial that you have to keep like putting the needle in and out and in and out like they have to use something to prevent um, the infection from going in do you know what I'm saying yeah I know what you mean so, like, they don't want, like, the needle to contaminate the vial. So they have to have something called a preservative to prevent that. Um, the next ingredient is, like, an adjuvant. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Um, and, like, an example of that would be aluminum salts. And, like, the reason they use that is to boost your immune response. So, like, your immune system will respond better to the virus or bacteria in the vaccine. And the next one is a stabilizer, which doesn't... Um, basically just keeps the vaccine from going bad and it's sugar and gelatin and stuff like that the next part is a cell material they have to use material from cells so that the vac the virus can like grow so they can like have more of the virus and they usually use like eggs which is why some people are allergic to certain vaccines and then the next ingredient is called the residual inactivating ingredient and they usually use formaldehyde but in like really small amounts and it makes the virus or bacteria actually like not get us sick. So like this would be important to like in like diseases where like they could be really bad. Like they have to make sure the virus doesn't actually infect you. It just ends up in your body. And then the residual antibiotics are just so that you, um, there is no bacteria growth in the vaccine that can like get you sick from something else. And were you able to find, did you find this like on the CDC or like in a, public like forum yeah so um we'll have all the resources linked on our website but i found this at 
the CDC website, um, cdc.gov slash vaccine slash vac dash gen slash additives dot htm. Um, but it, like I said, it'll be on the website. And then it's also like on the FDA website. It also shows you like a bunch of common de- ingredients in vaccines and like why they're there. So um, it's not that hard to find. Like I just Googled it and like a bunch of reputable sources came up and I looked into them. Yeah, I was just curious because I feel like a lot of people are kind of nervous about what's in the vaccines, but it's such like public knowledge now. And like you said, like the CDC or the FDA will have information on those, which is good to hear. Yeah. And they even have like some have like FAQ kind of style parts of their website where they like answer questions about why they need the ingredients and like how, why are they not harmful for you? Yeah, I love the FAQ setup. <laughs> it's so convenient. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I also use the CDC to kind of research how vaccines like work. And so there's actually a couple of different types of vaccines um, that they mentioned too that I wanted to talk about were attenuated vaccines, which use like weakened but alive viruses and bacteria and inactivated, which uses um, vaccines bacteria and viruses that are um, killed beforehand and pretty much they use it as like to mimic you getting infected so there's three different components in your body the macrophages which are white blood cells and they will swallow the germs and leave behind part of the germs called antigens which then are attacked by antibodies which are produced by b lymphocytes which are white blood cells And then the T lymphocytes in your body um, attack the affected cells. So pretty much when they use the vaccines to get it into your body, they mimic this, like, say, like, let's just use COVID, for example. They mimic COVID, but it's a weakened response. So you're not as likely to get sick and you have, like, lesser symptoms. So it's safer for you to do, but you still get the same buildup and you still get the same immune response after your body's gone through it and they remember they have these memory cells that are used if you ever like come into contact with it again. And yeah, but the actual COVID vaccine yes. is an mRNA vaccine. Yes. So is, <laughs> you want to talk about it? Well, I was just going to say it's, it's not the same as the ones that we're talking about, which are more like the um, old school kind of vaccines. <laughs> mRNA is like a new a new thing do you want to talk about I don't know how much research you've done if you want to talk about it yeah so Derek actually brought it up when we were discussing our research about how it is a different type of vaccine from what they had listed um, on their page and pretty much what they do is they give you this vaccine is used to give your body instructions on how to fight off um, COVID using a spike protein um, So there's a lot that is kind of unknown, like that I don't really know about, but hopefully our special guests will be able to maybe give us a little more insight just because it is a lot to take in. And although we know that it does give your body instructions on how to fight it off, we're not really sure on how exactly it does that. Like we're not sure what they use in the body or how the body responds to it. But it is different. It is a new technology and it has gone through the vaccine approval. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on it? 
Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the mRNA vaccines are new, but they're not unknown. Like, according to the website, it says, like, they've done, like, research on these things for, like, lots, like, a long time. Like, they wouldn't just create (laughs) something and give it to people without looking into it. But uh, basically, like, from my understanding, like, again, we aren't, like, professionals. So a lot of the words, like, go over (laughs) our heads. But from, like, my understanding, it's basically, like, they take mRNA which kind of are the instructions for your cells and they they write instructions that make it so that your cell knows what to produce in order to fight off COVID without ever getting COVID or having um, any dead or live COVID in your body. So it's basically like just prevents us from needing the actual virus. We can just create the immune response without the virus. Yeah, I think they actually stated on their website, like, you can't get COVID from this type of vaccine, which is honestly kind of, like, relieving as well, like, this new technology, knowing that they won't even have to use parts of it to, like, inject you with it, honestly makes it a little less scary to think about. Yeah, and they won't have to keep, like, I know, like, they had to keep smallpox, like, portions of live smallpox virus, like, in laboratories so that they could make the vaccine again like if we need it again but they won't like i don't know for sure but like this seems like a way that we don't even have to keep any live vaccines for like future diseases which could be cool yeah that's true um and like i said like this like that vaccine has also gone through the phases that the other vaccines have um and so from the fda there was three phases that they conduct and go through after they do research on the disease, the virus or bacteria, and after they see how it affects the body and which type they want to use. And the three phases are um, use of people. So phase one, they take between 20 to 100 people who are healthy with no like underlying conditions and test it on them. And then phase two, they move on to hundreds of people with different backgrounds and kind of go through the same um, process testing those people. And then phase three is when they get into the thousands. So they have thousands of people and they introduce a placebo. So some people will get the actual vaccine and some people will get like what they don't really know is a vaccine or not, but they don't know which like, people don't know if they got the placebo or the actual vaccine until after the research is conducted. And they also noted that there was a vaccines and related biological products advisory commission, which the FDA can consult when developing a new vaccine and whether or not they do is up to them because it's just a consulting, they don't make the final decision, but it's just another outside source to kind of help with developing a vaccine. Yeah. Um, so like, obviously there are like a lot of steps that, um, pharmacist like um i'm trying to think of the word but like pharmacy firms like have to go through before they can like have a vaccine go out to people Mm -hmm. um through the fda and like in other countries they have other um, agencies that regulate it but there are still lots of objections to vaccines made by like um people that maybe confused or concerned by the ingredients or things that they have read online. Um, 
one of those primary objections, especially a few years ago, was that vaccines cause autism. And so obviously, like, <laughs> we wanted to do research into the objections to see if they held any water. And this one obviously does not have any standing. Um, one of the resources I found said that some people wondered if thimerosal, which contained small amounts of mercury, was the, co- was the cause of autism from vaccines. But this has been debunked for, like, many reasons. But one of the main ways that it was debunked was because the FDA regulated the exposure of, um, of children to mercury as a general precaution in the early 2000s. So most vaccines now do not have thimerosal, which we talked about earlier, but the um, numbers of people with ASD or autism spectrum disorder have not decreased. So if that was the cause, you would think that people would not have it as much. Um, There's also like other resources that I found that say that there's no causal link between autism and vaccines, like from the Journal of Pediatrics, um, things like that. And the autismspeaks.org says that it's likely because vaccine timing coincides with neurodevelopment. So like around the time that children get a vaccine is when they would be able to be diagnosed with ASD, just because like that's just when your brain is like old enough that it's capable of being um, diagnosed. And then um, they also list some potential real factors that could contribute to getting autism, which include like genetic factors, your parents' age when at conception, um, pregnancy and birth complications, et cetera. So um, there are quite a few sources that I found that all debunk any link between vaccines and autism. And you were able to find like any scientific backings that maybe it did? No, there's literally there is nothing saying that it did. Every study that I found says that there's no link. And like I found articles that are just listed like a bunch of studies. So like there's no there's no science that says that they are linked. That's good. I'm hoping that maybe people will like listen to the podcast and if they thought that before change their mind. Um, but even though I feel like a lot of times people will like have evidence right in front of them and still like try to be like no that's not true like it's all like a conspiracy yeah cognitive dissonance and stuff like that (laughs) but if you're interested you can go to our website and look at our sources that we used i try to use sources from both the u.s and um, other countries to like maybe like um assuade any of their their fears and suspicions but you can only do so much (laughs) um so yeah i also had to look into an objective to vaccines which is gaining a lot of um talk right now about it which is microchips and people thinking that they're going to inject a microchip into our body (laughs) and try to track us um i don't know this one just there's not like a whole lot of uh, there's like no evidence that there's going to be any microchips in the vaccines, I did read an article talking about how a company had managed to like implement microchips onto the syringes to help track vaccinations and to help kind of um, see where the vaccines are going to like maybe help with like not wasting them or knowing what portion of population is getting them. Um, but nothing about how these microchips will collect data on the person getting the vaccine. So I can see maybe where people might have gotten a little confused or misled 
Um, but there's one really interesting comment by um, one article that I read talking about how like a lot of times people think that Bill Gates is out to microchip them and track them, but they kind of mentioned like, look, like Bill Gates doesn't have to track you down and microchip you because you may also like already be micro not microchip, but being tracked using even your own cell phone. And so just stuff like that is where I think a lot of conspiracy theories come from because there are, there are probably real risks behind stuff like that, like your cell phone being tracked and used and all the data being collected Whereas people get confused where vaccines are going to inject them with a microchip. But like, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say like, there's, there's no evidence like to the contrary, like to say that this doesn't exist because nobody, nobody can do that. Like there's no way, like nobody would conduct a study to see if there were microchips in vaccines because it's just so obvious that there are not. (laughs) Yeah. I'm saying like, and like if even if they did that i don't think anybody would believe them yeah you know i don't know yeah it's just a bunch of conspiracy people which honestly can be really harmful <laughs> to like getting people like safely vaccinated so it's just frustrating i guess to say the least yeah no it definitely can be harmful because another part that we wanted to talk about was herd immunity and like how um you know a certain number of the population like a certain percentage has to be immune to the disease in order for it to not spread anymore um and like with conspiracy theories theories like that like sometimes it can prevent us from reaching that percentage um according to like the world health organization there are like two kinds of basic herd immunity one way is without vaccines and would require would require a certain percentage depending on the disease to be infected by the live virus and like end up sick and like dealing with any of the potential, you know, side effects or even death, depending on the disease. And then the other way is through vaccinations. So if we want herd immunity, the clear best choice is through vaccines and not just letting a bunch of people get sick, especially with something like COVID where the mortality rate is high enough that like, if we just let Um, that percentage of our population gets sick, so many people would die. It would be like hundreds of thousands of people that would die. Yeah, I don't think herd immunity works, um, like you said, with the mortality rate, especially when we're running out of ICU beds. And if we just get everyone sick at once, that's going to harm a lot of people who can't get the medicine and like medicinal care that they need at that time if everyone's sick. Yeah, which is why vaccines would kind of play the role of bringing immunity to people without getting them sick yeah i think that's really smart and i think that kind of also ties into uh vaccine mandates and the constitutionality of mandating vaccines so what i had found on this was actually a really interesting court case called jacobson versus massachusetts um and Jacobson had kind of brought to court, it was during the uh, 20th century, 1905, and Jacobson had said, look, like, I don't think that I should be mandated to get vaccinated against smallpox um, just because I, it's my religious right. He was doing it under the First Amendment. He says, my religious right not to get it, I don't want to do it. 
but the court had kind of came out and they're like, look, um, one of the quotes from this article that I read from a law professor said that there are manifold restraints to which every person is necessarily subject for the common good. And what I found really interesting about this was that this case was actually used uh, pertaining to uh, the COVID pandemic and that there's different orders and everything that are passed during this pandemic using this court case, using this president that was brought up. So I think that's really interesting. I don't think it was against vaccine mandates, but more so probably uh, mask mandates and people saying like, I don't have to wear a mask. Like it's my right to not have to wear a mask. Like I'll do what I want, but not a lot. I don't think any states have mandated the vaccine yet. It just came out. So I think we'll see more so on this in the future, but. Yeah, it's kind of, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody um, does end up suing and bringing it all the way back to the Supreme Court and the potential um, chance of them actually overturning a previous decision. But I mean, clearly if the Supreme Court has ruled on this already, that they have that precedent and that they believed that there was a constitutional basis to, um, for government to mandate things that they think that overwhelmingly benefit the common good and have very few risks. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out within like the coming years. Yeah, it was over 100 years ago, but... I don't know. I don't know if they'll like change what they think about that. But um, I definitely think that more private companies will mandate it. And we'll see, like I said, we'll see what happens right now. Happening and personally. Yeah. Um, so did you want to talk about um, protecting vulnerable populations as like because we wanted to talk about obviously the benefits of vaccines after we talk about why the objections are um, incorrect. So do you want to talk about the benefits of vaccines? Yeah, so I had researched how vaccines can protect vulnerable populations, which um, include populations that may not have the option to get vaccinated. So this may include people who are going through chemotherapy, uh, people who have like immune disorders, And pretty much what happens is when we are able to vaccinate a certain percentage of a population against a virus, it also helps protect those people. And a really important, like, example that I thought made a lot of sense was with polio. And in other countries, there's still polio, even though it's eradicated in the United States. So if it ever were to come back and people chose not to, say, vaccinate their kids against this and they spread it to these more vulnerable populations say like kids going through chemotherapy then it could be way more like detrimental to their health so by pop like through vaccinating like the larger population we're also helping out people who don't have that option yeah i mean it's according to research i've done um, measles was actually um, eradicated in the united states in 2002 but in 2014 um, 600 cases of measles were reported because um people weren't vaccinating their kids anymore for measles and that so it came back so like diseases can definitely make a comeback like um i looked into eradication and um you know we in the united states we eradicated polio in 1979 although there is still polio in like i think a few countries 
um, for the most part, it's eradicated. And smallpox as well in 1977 was eradicated in the United States. Um, well, actually, globally, the last natural case of smallpox was in 1977. But um, like we said, like without vaccines, like, these diseases like could make a comeback and like diseases similar to them could make a comeback. You said that smallpox was eradicated globally? So in 1977 was the last natural case of smallpox oh. according to the World Health Organization. Okay. But there were there are still some cases that happened afterward, but they were not natural cases, as in they they didn't like come from one person with smallpox to another person with smallpox. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, I agree. I think that, like you said, like the eradication of these were made possible through vaccines, and they not only help like individuals, but they also help like the common good, like utilitarianism. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty clear after research that any side effect from vaccines, like including like redness, fever, pain, and ejection site, like those are just natural immune responses. And like even the few very rare, more serious side effects that, um, you know, we almost never see but could in theory happen, those are still worth like not having an entire world of infected people. Like there are some of these diseases like polio causes paralysis, like do we like it's clear to weigh like the pros and the cons and like there are so few cons and so many pros for vaccines that um i think according to the research we've done i think i'm still very much on the side of my original conclusion yeah i would definitely agree and honestly even now i feel like i have more of a basis to debate for vaccines um like you said it also helps with just like getting on with our lives, you know, like without vaccines, like how much would we have to worry about everything? And it protects other people, doesn't just protect us. Um, there's no microchips, it doesn't cause autism. <laughs> and now that we know how they work and that we can have like herd immunity without getting um, as sick and with less deaths, I just think that there's so much evidence for vaccines that I would agree with you. Yeah, so um, you will hear our concluding thoughts later, um, but before then, we're going to take a quick brain break and then go to our featured special guest. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to our brain break. Derek's going to start us off with his word of the day. Yeah, so my word of the day is inoculate. Um, so inoculate means to treat a person or animal with a vaccine in order to produce immunity against disease. And I think this is pretty, um, relevant to today's topic. Did you say they can, you say infect animals too? Well, inoculate is just a word that means treat a person or animal with a vaccine. So like there might be animal oh. vaccines. I don't really know. We didn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. You said that. I was like, Hmm. That's interesting. I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they all, they have immune systems, so probably. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> do you want to give your question? Yeah, day? so my question is a trivia question for you. Um, so, oh boy. hepatitis B is a disease that has a vaccine. And so there's a different 
not different. There's a couple of shots that you have to get for this vaccine. And so my question for you is how long after a baby is born is it recommended they get their first shot for hepatitis B? Um, are there multiple choices or do I just have to You just have to say. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say four months. It's 12 hours. (laughs) Right? Isn't that crazy? I saw that just like when I was like looking on the CDC page and it's like, wow, like, I think the next one was one to two months after that. Yeah, I was expecting it to be like one of like the... A couple like the second or third like yeah right or something at a, at a doctor's office no exactly wow <laughs> that's crazy it's so instant like <laughs> yeah right that. <laughs> no, that's crazy um okay so <laughs> i'm still <laughs> I'm sorry anyway <laughs> if you want to um hear more of our podcast and look into the sources that we use to find this question and word of the day you can go to our website at we know nothing podcast.com um, we also encourage you to follow us at we know nothing pc on instagram and twitter to keep up with um, the questions that we ask on there and you know when the new episodes come out we're planning on having a regular schedule but we don't have one set in stone yet So until then, you'll have to follow us to know when the new episode comes out. Yeah, and then next up, we will have our special guest. So stay tuned. Hey, everyone. We are joined with our special guest, Ryan, a friend and grad student at New Haven. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Hey, thank you for having me. (laughs) So before we get started, um, I have a few questions. And my first one is, what are you currently studying at New Haven? So yeah, I'm currently studying cell and molecular biology as a uh, third semester master's student. Uh, My current thesis work is looking at the genetic diversity of algae. So trying to figure out how closely related populations around Long Island are by extracting their DNA and running some experiments on them. And how is the study related or your study related to vaccines? So my specific thesis study isn't directly related to vaccines, but all of my coursework is pretty much every single biological element that builds into vaccines. And I also teach a um, non-majors biology introductory course that does talk a decent amount about vaccines in one of our labs. Oh, okay. So you have experience like explaining stuff to other students? Yes. Um, Yeah, I think it's really important to understand uh, basic elements and especially how these vaccines work. Uh, Don't you agree, Derek? Yeah, um, I think that's something that this whole episode is really about, like explaining how vaccines work to people like Sophie and I who don't really understand them. So that leads to my next question, which is, if you had to describe how vaccines work to a child, how would you do that? So the first thing I would do is talk about how your immune system works. And what that does is when when your body experiences a foreign agent, so like a virus, a bacteria, a fungus, something that it doesn't want in there, 
your body does things to try to destroy it and combat it. And this takes a bunch of different forms, like uh, if you have allergies to something, that's your immune system not working correctly. But at the most basic level, if your body encounters something that it doesn't like, then your body tries to get rid of it. Now, if I had to describe it to a child, I would describe it like, I would describe the disease as a test and vaccines as a way to study for it. So if you just tried to take a test without studying for it at all, you would have a really hard time and you wouldn't do too well. In this situation, that's like getting sick because your body has never experienced this thing before. It doesn't know what to do with it. You get sick and then eventually you recover for the most part. If you have a vaccine, you're introducing part of the virus to your body without there being any stakes. So your body can see a part of the virus or something that looks like the virus so that your body recognizes it and then can say, oh, if I see this thing again, I can react more quickly without having to get sick. So it's like a much less stressful test. Hmm. That's actually a really good way of um, explaining it. I never heard that analogy before to like studying, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense with like what we did with our research. Um, but one part of our research that we were kind of confused about, we tried to look into it, but Sophie and I are not biologists. <laughs> um, um, you said that the the vaccines you were describing, like they introduce like some sort of like form of the virus that we want to fight into the body. But how is this different from an mRNA vaccine? Okay, so what we usually do with vaccines is we take a part of the virus. So like just one small piece of it, we do something to denature or destroy the active part of the virus, but we introduce some shape that is on the virus and specific to it. And there's all sorts of different ways to do that. You can create a protein that looks like it, which is what we're doing with some of the other vaccines that are coming out. But you mentioned the mRNA, and this specifically refers to the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines that are coming out in the U.S. right now. And these are the ones that a lot of people are thinking about. And I'll use another analogy to talk about mRNA. mRNA is like if you're trying to copy something out of a cookbook. So if you're going camping and you want to make a recipe or a dish out in like on a campground, you wouldn't want to bring your family passed down cookbook with you because it could get damaged, it, something could happen to it. And you don't want that. So in this case, the cookbook is the DNA that you have in all of your cells. When you want to make proteins in your body, you have to make a copy of that DNA that can be destroyed that you don't care about because it's just not that important and you don't want it to be floating around in your body, making a bunch of proteins that you don't want. So you start off with DNA, you make a copy of it, and that's mRNA. And mRNA can't get back into your nucleus. It can't react with DNA after you've already created it. So your copy, mRNA, goes into your cells and starts making a bunch of proteins. mRNA is what we have in these Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. So they can go into your cells and create proteins that look like 
the spike protein in the coronavirus virus. So by creating those proteins, they can pop up on the outside of your cells and your immune system will recognize them, like we said earlier, studying for the test. And it'll know that those aren't supposed to be there. It'll destroy them and then make antibodies against them. And then you're therefore immune to the coronavirus and you won't get a severe disease from COVID-19. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's kind of like, instead of giving us coronavirus like injected into us like um with like maybe like the i don't know other types of vaccines it's just giving us instructions to make like a similar protein that would like our body can learn how to react to it because it it's similar to covid like in the way that that it can react or like in its shape right exactly it's tell it's having your body make the thing instead of just giving it to you And because we do it this way with the vaccine, there's no way to get COVID from having this vaccine. There is no virus in it. It just looks like the virus once it's made. Well, that's actually, yeah, that's, I hope that that was um, um, comprehensible or like understandable to like a lot of people, because I think that's really important. Um, Because I know there are lots of like skeptics and you know, they say things like, oh, what if you get sick from it? Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, but speaking about, oh, I'm oh, sorry. You, no, yeah. I just wanted to mention something from getting sick about it. I know you, so I know you're going to ask me about um, side effects later and we can talk about those, but because of the way that this is set up as an mRNA vaccine, it gets broken down right away. And your nucleus in your cells, so the things that hold your DNA, doesn't let mRNA into them. So there's no way for this to cause a mutation, give you autism, affect your fertility. It can't do any of those things because it can't interact with your DNA. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that's, <laughs> it's all really important, which is why I'm like a little bit speechless. It's kind of, it's it's making sense to me and it wasn't before. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, Sophie brought up this point earlier. Um, she said that, you know, they say it's important to get vaccinated if you have COVID, if you had had COVID. Um, but like they say like that when you have the disease, you are only infected for like, or you're only safe from getting it for like three months or something like that. But does the vaccine like help keep you safe longer? And like, why would that be? Okay, so when you get, when you get actual COVID itself, your body creates these things called antibodies against um, some part of the COVID virus, and those are what recognize those are what bind to the virus and then call in your white blood cells to help destroy it. The antibodies only last about ninety days after you've had COVID, so those do go away. In that 90-day period after you've had COVID is when you're most resistant to getting reinfected by it. So that's where the 90 days come from. But that doesn't mean that you're only immune for 90 days because your body makes these things called memory cells, which when they encounter COVID again, they make the antibodies much faster. So it... it, Oh, so it's kind of... Yeah, go ahead. So it's kind of like you you could still get sick 
but it's just less likely because you your body does have the memory of fighting right. before. And so the same thing with the vaccine, if you your body would make the antibodies and then from that it would make the memory cells. Um, let's see. Now, as far as why you should get the vaccine, even if you've already had COVID, the big reason is that the COVID, uh, the coronavirus that we're dealing with here, here can mutate. And it already has mutated in some cases. Like if you've paid attention to the news, you've probably heard about the UK strain, the South Africa strain, even the new Brazil strain. These are all mutations of the coronavirus that we've been dealing with. And when you have a mutation, if it affects part of the virus that has these recognition regions, so like the spike protein, uh, something else, if a mutation happens there, your body's immune system, the antibodies that you created earlier from having COVID might not recognize the mutated region. But what we targeted with the vaccine is a stable region that would be consistent throughout all of the um all of these strains that should pop up which is why if you're hearing about these new strains we're not so much worried about the vaccine not working on them we're just worried about like if they can reinfect people who haven't had the vaccine or if it just spreads more rapidly okay so that's that's pretty good to know so the vaccine should work on like most of these new strains but even if you've already had COVID, you should still be vaccinated right. because you might have had a different strain and it might not carry right. over. Um, so kind of switching topics a little bit, we wanted to talk um, about like composition of vaccines um, because we did some research on them. And from what we could tell, like a lot of the skepticism around like vaccines, like causing autism and like other things like that came from two specific ingredients and then like other things, obviously. But they talked about thimerosal and formaldehyde. So thimerosal has mercury in it, I guess. And formaldehyde is like what we use to like preserve dead things that we want to dissect <laughs> in school. Um, so could you explain like, if is this a reason for concern or why or why not? And like things like, I don't know, kind of just ease people's yeah. concerns. Okay, so this really is not a reason for concern and... I'll give you an example why, and then I'll explain it. But actually, I guess I'll explain it first. Basically, the main idea is that you can make anything sound scary if you present it in the right way. So if I told you that the thing you're about to eat is laced with cyanide, then you probably would put it down and not eat it, right? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but if you were holding an apple and I said the same thing, you would be like, wait, what? That's not, that's not really a thing apples have cyanide in them and it's just like an example of how if you present different chemicals or compositions of things they can seem scary without any form of context so in the case of thimerosal and um what's the other one formaldehyde these are thimerosal is just like an antifungal agent or an antiseptic and this is something that can kill invaders in your body. Formaldehyde was used to preserve, I don't know exactly what it was used for, but in the form of preservation, it was 
most likely used to preserve whatever particle we were trying to introduce with um, uh, with the agent that caused the immune response. They would have been they were present in such low doses that they really would not have done anything to your body. And as far as autism goes, you can't get autism from a vaccine because it wouldn't affect your DNA in such a large area that it would cause that problem in your body, if that makes sense. Now, yeah. Okay. Um, so now the good news is um, when breaking down the ingredients in these vaccines that we're dealing with for COVID, these aren't present because we don't need them to preserve the mRNA. For these vaccines for COVID, there's only the mRNA, some salts, some sugar, and some fats. And if you want me to explain how all of those things are incorporated into getting the vaccine in, <laughs> I can, but I think that goes a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast. But just know that there's nothing in there that is scary or that can cause problems. It's all just natural stuff that gets used all the time in vaccines. Yeah, so it's almost like the COVID vaccine is honestly just safer because it you can't get infected with a disease and it doesn't use, I mean, even though these are in such small amounts, like there's not even like a possibility for concern because they're not right. even present. Wow. Um, so if there, if there, sorry, even though there is no concern, um, some people are still suspicious because that's just the nature of human beings. Um, so Sophie was talking about um, how people are so suspicious earlier. So if you want to. Yeah. Question, so I definitely think that you touched upon it a lot when you talked about how things are presented. And I definitely agree that there's still a lot of people who are skeptical, um, especially for this new vaccine coming out. Um, do you have anything, any additional information that you want to say or, or touch on about why people are so skeptical? So we, part of the course that, or part of the lab that I teach, we dive into where fake news comes from or misinformation and how that can benefit like certain groups and be bad for other people. And there's a lot of different layers to this problem. One of the big ones is you can get misinformation coming out of, targeted misinformation coming out of countries that don't like each other. So if you see websites that try to look legitimate or um, Facebook accounts are a big one where they try to pass off information that's like, don't take the vaccine, it has this thing in it. None of it's founded in actual logic or fact. It's just trying to play on fears that people have. And the fears that people have are understandable because this is a brand new vaccine. A lot of times, if you were younger, you were, your parents brought you to the doctor and they were like, okay, you're getting the chicken pox vaccine. Why? So you don't get sick. Okay. That's probably the conversation you had with your parents when you were seven or eight and you had to get your vaccines. And they had been studied and been administered in doctor settings for a long time. Because this one's so new, people are kind of hesitant, like, well, the biggest concern that I've heard about this vaccine isn't that they don't want to get it. It's that people don't want to be the first ones to get it because they're like, hey, I just don't know, like, 
why should I be the first one to get it if something bad could happen? And what I would say to that is that a lot of people have had this vaccine tested on them. This vaccine came out quickly, but it came out quickly because of what's going on. Honestly, it came out quickly because it's affecting developed countries. We only just got an Ebola vaccine last year, and that's because it doesn't affect the US, Europe, Russia, China, wealthy countries. This one, the back, the virus is everywhere. So it's a lot easier to get people to test it on. People are willing to have it tested on them. And the funding for this thing was outrageous. So that's why it came out so quickly. It didn't come out because it wasn't being tested as effectively or because it wasn't being looked into or we were foregoing safety. It came out so quickly because of necessity. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, that reassurance, I think a lot of people are going to be happy to hear and hopefully ease uh, some minds. And I know that you mentioned earlier, you talked a little bit about reactions to vaccines. And although you can't get COVID from this new vaccine, uh, can you talk about some like common reactions to vaccinations and why the human body like sometimes will get these reactions? Okay. Yeah. So that's one of the things that people will that people who are trying to push misinformation about this thing will say. They'll say, oh, I got X, Y, and Z symptoms, so the vaccine doesn't work, or the vaccine gave me COVID. You hear this a lot of times with the flu shot. You hear people say, I got the flu shot, and then I got a mini flu. It's not actually a mini flu, and it's not actually like mini COVID from getting the vaccine. When you get a vaccine, we talk. I talked earlier about how it's like your body studying for the test. And that always has some stress. When you're, when you introduce these vaccines, you still elicit an immune response from the person's body. And that's say, there's something there that isn't normally there and your body tr has to try to fight it off. So it could give you a mild fever. It could give you some soreness at the injection site. You might feel a little dizzy. You might feel a little bit of nausea. These all subside within, for the first dose, a day at most. The second dose is a little bit longer because there's a more elevated response. But any experience of side effects means that this is a good thing. It means that the vaccine is working. It means your body is building resistance to COVID without even being uh, identified in it. And honestly, some people might have the question, well, if there's going to be this problem with it. If I'm going to feel crappy, why don't I just get COVID? The reason behind that is that getting the vaccine, even if you do experience side effects, is going to be much, much easier to deal with and much lower stakes. And it's much more controlled than having COVID-19 itself. If you get COVID-19, you can't smell, you can't taste, you have difficulty breathing for a week and a half. I would much rather have a mild temperature increase or some dizziness and nausea for, I don't know, a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And this COVID, the COVID vaccine, it's two shots, right? Right. So you oh. get your first dose and then a booster. And that allows the immune system to kick it up a notch for the second time. You do have to get both doses. 
if you get the first one and then don't get the second one, it's like not finishing your antibiotics. You can, there, it increases the chance of there to be a mutation and cause more dangerous COVID to emerge. So you have to get both doses. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about people claiming like, oh, like I got mini COVID. And I also see a lot of times people try to like, I think I saw a news story and it was like, oh, like they got the shot and then a week later they got COVID. But it's like people need to understand that you have to get both shots in order for your body to um, build up your immune system. Right. Is that correct? And okay. that, yeah, that is correct. You're more... The, the vaccine is most effective at after that second dose. And keep in mind that vaccines aren't perfect. This one is really, really good. It's 95% effective for both Moderna and Pfizer, but like not everything always works perfectly. So um, in the sense that um, not everything works perfectly in the sense that sometimes you might just get sick after getting the vaccine. Now, the good news is that 95% is up there with like the most well-established vaccines that we have. So this is definitely something that can take out COVID for good if everyone gets vaccinated in a timely manner. Okay. And to kind of shift to a different vaccine, a question I have for you is, um, we want to know, do you get the flu shot every year and why or why not? So I did get it every year up until this year because just because the circumstances where I would have had it was like so chaotic moving back and forth from grad school that I never had the chance to settle down. And it is kind of telling that this year people, fewer people are getting flu shot, but flu, uh, flu cases are at an all time low because of mask wearing and social distancing. So that's something that we could definitely take in keep in mind in public health going forward. But basically I get the flu shot every year because herd immunity is important. That's our goal. And you have to look at it from the scope outside of yourself where, yeah, I could probably not get the flu shot, get the flu and be totally fine. But if I were to get the flu and then give it to somebody else who couldn't get the flu shot, they might be worse off. So it's more of a looking out for other people than just getting it for myself. And hey, I don't want to get the flu. I got it once in high school and it put me out for a week and a half. And it was yeah. not an enjoyable experience. That's a really good point. The herd immunity and protecting other people. And for a final question, um, we just want to know, what would you say to people who are skeptical about getting vaccinated with any vaccine, not just COVID, just kind of like a concluding emphasis. Mm -hmm. So I actually ran this question as like a frequently asked question on my Instagram story and with um, some of my students who were also expressing some like uncertainty about the vaccine. If, and that really broke down into a couple of questions and it was whether or not they would be the first person to get it, essentially common side effects and um, the idea of why should I get it if I'm young? And breaking down those three questions, the first one was, um, I don't even remember the order I said them in, but 
if you're young and healthy, you should get it because for two main reasons, you want to protect other people and outlier cases still do exist, even if they're rare. So there's a running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who is a top 1% athlete on the planet. He's been hospitalized with COVID twice and missed the entire 2020 season. And that is an outlier case, but that just goes to illustrate that just because it's not likely for you to get sick, it can still happen. And you don't want to be one of those people who gets hurt about or you're out of commission for a month and a half because you can't breathe because you had a really severe COVID case. When the alternative was you just get pricked with a needle. If somebody's concerned about being the first person having the vaccine tested on them, just know that you're not the first person to get this vaccine. Clinical trials were run, were run on thousands of people and they were highly, highly scrutinized clinical trials. There were demographic breakdowns of every single type of person. There's really no concern for somebody who doesn't look like you not being included in the trial. Um, you also won't be the first person to get the vaccine in like the social setting. There have been millions of people already vaccinated with that, with this in the U S alone. And the results speak for themselves. Infections are down in communities that have high vaccination rates. You can cut this out. I'm trying to think of what the third thing I said was. <laughs> Uh, oh, side effects. Okay. Now, if you're worried about side effects, just remember that if you have the flu-like side effects, then that's normal. That's something that is a good thing that tells you that the vaccine is working. The blown out of proportion side effects, like having autism from it, um, having it turn you gay, like all the ridiculous claims, that's not possible because of how the mRNA interacts with your cells. So that's what I would say to somebody who's skeptical about getting vaccinated. It's vaccines are pretty much always a good thing. In the hundred or so years that we've had vaccines, preventable deaths from these diseases has dropped precipitously because they're so good at preventing disease. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to hear, especially like with our, we have a younger audience, obviously, because we are younger. Um, and we know like a lot of people that maybe think, oh, it's not that big of a deal for me. Like if I get it, you know, I'll be fine. It's not that big of a deal. But like you said, um, we want to limit risk. And then also people can, you can still get really sick even as a young, healthy person. Um, so Sophie and I just want to thank you for your time and your really careful consideration in answering our questions. It's been really eye-opening for me. Yeah, I want to um, thank Sophie. you as well, Ryan. Um, it was so nice having you. Your analogies were phenomenal. Like they really helped me personally understand how they work. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, anytime you guys have any questions about this kind of stuff, just let me know. Yeah, of course. And next up, we will have our concluding thoughts.
So after that interview and all of our research, we have definitely learned a lot about vaccines. Don't you think so? Yeah, definitely. I think that both our research and Ryan cleared up a lot of confusion that I had on the topic and really helped with furthering my understanding. I believe that vaccines are beneficial and help with protecting not only ourselves, but others as well. Um, doing the research and talking with Ryan also helped with eradicating a lot of common fears and myths about vaccines. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that after the interview and all of our research, I'm definitely way more confident about my like initial thoughts. Like, I think that vaccines are definitely crucial to like public health in the world. And although there are some side effects and like new things can be scary, like now that I've done research, like I know how like minimal the risk actually is, Spe- specifically with the COVID vaccine. Like, like Ryan said, you can't even get COVID from the vaccine. And I mean, I just feel like it's vaccines are so worth any small risk that there is. Like I urge like everyone to take them. Like I'm not a doctor, but like if you, (laughs) if you are healthy and you can take them, like, please do. Like I feel way more confident taking vaccines, but like, I'm kind of excited to take the COVID vaccine now. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, do it for yourself and also do it for others. I think that's a pretty common theme. Um, So yeah, thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us for updates and future episodes. You can find us at We Know Nothing PT on both Instagram and Twitter, and also on our website at WeKnowNothingPodcast.com. Yeah, and next time we're going to be talking about decriminalization of drugs and illicit substances. Um, so remember, we know nothing.